0: And loving Father, we come before you that we might learn what it is to wait upon you. Reveal to us how very great a debt we owe you. Thank you for your precious word. It is a light for our feet that we may not get lost in the darkness that surrounds us. May your Holy Spirit breathe on us today that our hearts and our ears may be open to your instruction. O Holy Spirit, and great comforter. Speak your word of encouragement to our souls. May the soil of our hearts yield some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Teach us today so that we may live it, and by living it, that others may see it. And by seeing it, they will be drawn to believing into your Son Jesus and thereby be saved. We rely upon you for all things. Give us your strength today that we may glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in, I don't think anyone can deny that that we live in stressful times. Um, There was a a philosopher that lived around the early 19... early 1900s William James he wrote the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another I, I ask you to remember this quote but stick it in the place where you keep your linking verbs it, it's okay but you know stick it in there with a, a uh, remain therefore remain in the seem smell sound and taste they're all they that's where it belongs Can anyone deny how stressful the times we live in are? Nations rise up against nations. There, Right now, as we, we gather here, there are at least 13 major armed conflicts in the world. Each one of these conflicts lose anywhere from 1,000 to 30,000 annually. And this year is not going to be a good year. There are over 14,000 earthquakes reported each year worldwide that are above a 4.0 or greater. Just a few weeks ago, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry sounded the alarm and stated that 3.9 million Sudanese are at risk of starving to death if something doesn't happen in the South Sudan. Our Christian brothers and sisters are being tortured and killed daily. They are routinely brought into courts in China, in Muslim countries, and in Asia only because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. Just three days ago, in a city named Qaragush, which is the largest Christian city in Iraq, a five-year-old boy was executed because of his parents' faith. Also, last week, 500 Christian women were kidnapped in Mosul and are scheduled to be sold as sex slaves. We live in stressful times. We live with racial strife, Ferguson, Missouri, environmental collapse, health, relationships, employment, unemployment. We can name a hundred more things. We live in stressful times. But According to an article in Newsweek last year Newsweek said the global rate of suicide Far exceeds that of The death caused by War uh, Natural disasters and murder Suicide is the number one cause Not health issues but Of the man-made issues suicide is the number one cause of death Now I'm not getting into it If you ask me, are these the end times? I have no clue. I don't think anyone here knows. Matthew 26, 24, 6 through 7. Jesus said, even if you hear of wars, rumors of wars, see, see you are not alarmed. Remember that. No no matter what's going on around the world, see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But remember that. See that you are not alarmed. We have a God that's in control. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 4. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those with an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, Your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. My text today is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It's a verse filled with comfort for a people living in a time of stress. I would encourage each one of you to study the entire 40th chapter of Isaiah to keep it in context. Embracing the promises of comfort, also heeding the words of admonishment against the futility of living a life under your own strength. Jesus said the wise man built his house upon the rock. Well that rock is Christ. This chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, the chapter could be entitled Comfort in a World of Stress. The people people that Isaiah were speaking to were people living in uncertain times. Just like us, they were living in a world filled with stress. The people had lost their anchor. They had lost their way. God opens with a divine proclamation. The God who spoke galaxies into existence, he said, light be, and there was light. The God who spoke the air, the water, the earth, spoke life into existence. Says to the people and says to us, "Comfort, comfort, my people." That's a that's a that's a creative uh, a creative command. God is breathing comfort to us. He reminds he reminds them and he reminds us that he is their good shepherd. Isaiah 40.11, that they had begun to believe, and this is the problem, that many of us can believe God is so great, he's so marvelous, that he doesn't have time to care for us. And God reminds them in Isaiah chapter 40, it's not that he is so great and so marvelous that he cannot care for us. He is so great and so marvelous, he cannot But care for us. That's how great he is. Some of you feel the same way when you come here. You feel the heavens are as brass before you. Your prayers are unanswered. You ask, why is my life hidden from you, Lord? Others, you take notice of them, but you take no notice of me. Why is it the more I seek you, the less I find you? Why is it that I have no joy and comfort? Where, Lord? Where? Where are you? Verse 31 was written to a people with the same question, the same problems. Today, some of you are living in a dark alley of your soul. But today, I pray that you will see a glimmer of a hope, a spark, that in time will become a consuming fire. And this verse 31 will cause you to leap like a gazelle Refresh and refresh your souls. You remember when Jesus said to the Samaritan woman about the water at the well? Jesus said it first to a woman. Wow, you mean women can be saved, Lord? I mean, if you were one of his disciples, that's what you would be thinking. That was, wow, a woman. Not only a woman, a Samaritan woman. Not only a Samaritan woman, But a Samaritan woman who had five husbands and was living in adultery. The promise was to her, a Samaritan woman living in adultery, having five husbands, and the disciples would have gotten the picture. Anybody with even a spark of faith is not excluded. You're not excluded. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. A bruised reed will he not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Life is in the spark. The faith is not yours but his. All it takes is a little spark to bring a raging fire. Sibs, and I really recommend anybody going through a dark time in their life, you have to read Sibs A Bruised Reed written in 1670. Excellent book. Sibs writes, "We must acknowledge that in the covenant of grace God requires the truth of grace, not any certain measure, and a spark of fire is fire as well as the whole element. Therefore we must look to grace in the sparks." As well as in the flame. For God knows we have nothing of ourselves. Therefore, in the covenant of grace, God requires no more than he gives. But gives what he requires, then accepts what he gives. That's the message of salvation. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we're going to ask ourselves four questions today. Who is the Lord? What does it mean to wait? How is strength provided? And how is this displayed in faith? First, who is the Lord? Remember in a previous sermon, probably about a year ago, we looked at who is God. In chapter, again, chapter 40, I do encourage you to get back to read the whole chapter in context. But in chapter 40, verse 9 of Isaiah, God shouts, behold your God. The closest translation you can give this, behold your God, in Hebrew would be "Tada." ta-da, you know, like, here's Johnny, well, here's God, behold your God. He goes on to say in verse 18, to whom will you compare God, or to what likeness will you compare him? In verse 25, he says, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him? God reveals throughout his scripture and in Isaiah that he is sui generis. He is in a class of his own. There is nothing, no one, that you can compare God to. He stands alone. He is not a higher power. He is incomparable. He is not an it, a thing, a who, or a whatchamacallit. In verse 26, he says... Go out some night and just remember this verse. Verse 26, Isaiah 40, 26. God commands us, he says, lift up your eyes. If you're having problems trying to figure out what's going on, if you're trying to figure out the meaning of the universe, go outside at night, lift up your eyes, and he asks the question, who created these? That answers a million questions. A million questions to look outside to look at nature, to look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, everything that's created. And God asks the question, who created these? The heavens are a billboard for the supremacy of God and the magnificence of God. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 2. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day after day, pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is a single star, and I talked about this before, but just to remind you, there's one star out there that's the largest known star to mankind. It's about 4,000 light years from here, which is good, because you wouldn't want to have it as your neighbor. Um, It burns as much energy in six seconds as our sun burns in a year if it replaced our sun in our solar system the surface of this sun would be somewhere between Jupiter and Saturn that's how enormous this star is it's called and you can look it up online um, you can see Theoretical overviews of how they think this thing works—they're they, really not sure how it exists, being as big as it is. It's called VY Canis Majoris. VY Canis Majoris, but I want you to realize, VY Canis Majoris is only one. It is the largest. It is only one of the ten known hyper hypergiants that we know of. It's only one of ten. God is not one of ten. He is by himself. Again, verse 26. Lift up your eyes, look up into the sky, and say, behold, and ask the question, who created these? Number two, what does it mean to wait? They that wait on the Lord. Um, and that's the, we're familiar with that from the King James Version, but the NIV, in the ESV, the NIV says those who hope in the Lord. The uh, Knox Bible translates the scripture, those who trust in the Lord. Waiting takes into account much more than just spending time. Waiting is not spending time. Waiting is trusting in. Waiting is hoping in. Waiting is looking for. Waiting is patiently expecting something necessary from the Lord. The sense here is in waiting on the Lord is one of total dependence. Everyone sat down in the chair today. You just plopped your tush right down. Did anybody give any thought, is the chair going to hold me up? Well, that's what it means by waiting on the Lord. That you're trusting your weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, in the Lord. You're going to trust your weight and and it's, it's I'm just using it as a play on words that's not, but that's what the Hebrew picture is. The Hebrew picture is when you wait upon the Lord, you trust your weight in a rope. You trust your weight in a chair. You trust your weight on the floor. You trust your weight walking on ice. That's what it means to wait on the Lord is that this waiting is more than just time It's more than just spending time. It's living in a matter of trust where you're taking your, your physical weight and everything in your life and you're trusting it to him. Waiting on God assumes obedience. Luke five, um, Luke 5, chapter 4, verses through 5 is a good example of it. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into the deep and cast your nets. Let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, okay, I'm a fisherman. All right, you're not, you're a carpenter. Here's the way it works. We've been out all night. We didn't get a thing, not even a nibble and most of you are fishermen, you know when the fish aren't biting, you don't even hear splashes, you don't hear anything. The fish are asleep, I don't know what they do, what fish do, but they go somewhere into their happy fish place, and they're not bothered with anything. But, he said, Simon Peter says, Master, because you said so, we will. We will let down our nets because you said so. That's the obedience of waiting upon the Lord. You may know better, you may know this, you may know that, you may have everything in your mind, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. Whatever the Lord tells you to do, okay Lord, because you said so. Have you ever noticed when someone says the word but? But is a verbal eraser. Honey, this was a great meal, but. Well, the great meal's now gone. I really like you, but. It's gone. But in this case, but is not the verbal eraser. But is the questions of life answered. Why should I pray? Why should I witness? Why should I study the Bible? Why should I give my talents? Why, why, why? Because he said so. That's it. That's the answer. It's not deep theological. It, it's not a pie in the sky. But because he said so. Uh, ha- anybody here ever listen to R.C. Sproul? Well, when R.C. Sproul, who graduated with his brother, Roger's brother there, when R.C. Sproul was done in Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh, he was asked, Dr. Gerstner was the, the, one of the few shining lights in the seminary at the time. Um, pretty much R.C. Sproul said the seminary he went to was a product of the, de- the devil. <laughs> but Dr. Gerstner was a shining light of Christian theology and Reformed theology. Dr. Gerstner said in his lecture, he asked the question, he said, Why would you pray? Why would you evangelize? No one could answer the question. This whole, all these seminary students couldn't answer. They couldn't figure out what his answer was. Finally, he turns to Sproul, who's just a young seminary student, and he asks the question. And Sproul says, well, Dr. Gerstner, I know this isn't what you're looking for, and I know you must be seeking something profound. Intellectual an intellectual response that I'm not prepared to give. But just in a passing, just one small point, I think we ought to notice here that God commands us to be involved in evangelism. Dr. Gerstner laughed. He said, yes, Mr. Sproul, God commands us to be involved in evangelism. And of course, Mr. Sproul What would be more insignificant than the fact that the Lord of glory, the Savior of your soul, the Lord God omnipotent, has commanded you to be involved in evangelism? He was being facetious. Nothing could be more important than God commanded it. Sproul said, I got the point in a hurry. One reason to pray is we're commanded to pray. But in addition to being commanded to pray, we are also given the privilege of prayer. Prayer is for the Christian both a duty and an unspeakable privilege. Because he said so. Just because he said so. Waiting on God assumes total trust. C.S. Lewis writes... I'm sure a lot of you read Mere Christianity. In the preface of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis touches upon this waiting on God. And I want to quote from him. He says, waiting on God, it's more like a hall out of which the doors open into several rooms. If If I could bring anyone into that hall, I have done what I've attempted to do. But it is the rooms not the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. So he's saying, my job is to bring you into the hall, but I can't bring you into the room. For that purpose, the worst of the rooms, whichever the worst of these rooms are, I think they're more preferable. I think it is true that some people may find that they have to wait in the hall for a considerable time. While others feel certain, almost at once, which door they must knock at. I don't know why there's a difference, but I am sure God keeps no one waiting unless he sees it is good for him to wait. When you go down into the room, when you do get into the room, you will find that the long wait has done some kind of good, which you would not, would not otherwise have done. You must regard it as waiting. This is important. Regard it as waiting not camping. Waiting on the Lord is not camping out. You must keep on praying for light and of course even in the hall you must begin to try to obey there's the obedience the rules which are common to the whole house and above all you must be asking which door is the true door not which one looks the best by its paneling or its paint. Third How is strength provided? Isaiah 40, verses 29 through 31. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Strength is provided by the renewing of strength. Um, I I want you to picture this. You've got a mantle of your own strength. The picture here is God removes the mantle of your strength, discards it, and he puts on his strength. It's not that he makes you stronger using strength your strength he removes your strength he puts on his strength and the reason why he does this because right before this verse in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 he asks the question he says have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint Or grow weary. That's why we need His strength. He's already said in the previous verse of the same chapter, I do not grow faint or grow weary. I don't get tired. God is no less of a God now than He was 20,000 years ago since the beginning of time. God has not lost energy. There is no entropy with God. God hasn't lost a thing since the beginning. Notice what it says. Did anybody ever watch uh, My Cousin Vinny? Even Utes, even Utes shall faint. Remember when he said that to Herman Munster? And Herman Munster, what? What? What are you talking about? Utes, Utes. Even Utes shall not faint. Why do the Utes faint? Utes faint because they trust in their own strength. Have you ever tried getting a Ute? wear a coat in the winter. Utes don't need coats. Utes don't need hats. Utes don't need umbrellas. Utes don't need nothing. If you go out whenever there's inclement weather, you got a world full of Utes. They look happy, but they're miserable because they don't need anything. Those trusting in the Lord know not to rely on their own strengths. Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8. A voice says, Cry. And I say, What what shall I cry? All grass, all flesh is grass, and the beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are as grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Psalm 18, verses 27. Verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Psalm 87, 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The strength that Isaiah is talking about here and God's talking about is not getting pumped. Um... Uh, it's having your strength stripped off, the mantle of your strength stripped off, and God's strength put on you. Nehemiah verse eight ten, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right, fourth. Um, how is faith displayed? What does this look like in our in our actual lives? Uh, again, going back to Sibs, I really I recommend this book. You can get it done at Carlisle at the um, Banner of Truth bookstore. Usually they have a half a dozen copies that are slightly damaged, um, four bucks. It's, it's really a good, it's a good volume to have in your library because each one of us will go through a dark time. And it really is a, a most comforting book. Sibs writes, God often works by contraries. When he means to give victory, he will allow us to be foiled at first. When he means to comfort, he will terrify at first. When he means to justify, he will condemn at first. When he means to make us glorious, he will abuse us first. Christian a Christian conquers even when he is conquered. When he is conquered by some sins, a Christian gains victory over other, more dangerous sins, such as spiritual pride and security. This faith, the faith of God, is displayed in our weakness. That's how faith shows itself. It's displayed in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9, and and I do have a lot of scriptures in here, and I uh, had them. Gene printed them up so you guys could all have them. I do believe, I'm a firm believer, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that I can say all sorts of stuff today. What's going to stick with you is that which God has said in His Word and what the Holy Spirit brings to mind. 2 Corinthians 12.9, but He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak he is strong. That's how that's how this is displayed in your life. It's displayed in your life by your weakness and by God putting his mantle on you and declaring his strength. All right, um, just to sum it up today, the scriptures bring comfort to those who are afflicted. The scriptures afflict the comfortable. So you have the scriptures doing two things. They bring comfort to the afflicted, and they afflict the comfortable. just a little bit of advice there's there's some really tough verses if you're going through the dark time in your soul there's probably about a dozen verses I'd stay away from sort of like medicine that if you have uh, if you've got some sort of medical issue where you can't keep food down, you wouldn't want to take syrup of epicac it just wouldn't it wouldn't help it would be counterproductive there if you're if you're going through a tough time stay with the scriptures that are bring comfort if you're going through a time where you don't need you don't think you need God I definitely go to those scriptures cuz you do need them God reveals himself to us in his majesty lift up your eyes look at the sky who created these God wants us to know we are but grass and to put no trust in our abilities Strength is provided through the revealing of our weakness. Waiting on the Lord expectingly. Waiting is not camping. Isaiah 40, 28. The Lord, the everlasting creator, does not grow faint nor grow weary. God never tires. To those who put their trust in themselves, their looks, their strength, their power, their position, their connections... Their trust in this world and not in God will fail. They do not recognize the need or their condition. They will wither like grass and be like the utes. To those who trust Him alone and wait expectantly and obediently for Him, He gives them His strength. Uh, Talking about reading those like meditating on the scriptures that are very difficult. Uh, they, they really look at the condition of man and um, they really make, and it's good. I mean, it's, there are times you need to be made feel, you need to feel uncomfortable. But I want you to remember, remember the scripture where uh, Jesus says, you know, uh, you, you, you parents can give good gifts. You know, if you ask for a rock, are you gonna? if you ask for a, a, a loaf of bread, are you going to get a rock? If you ask for a fish, are you going to get a serpent? Sibs writes, writes, a mother who has a sick and self-willed child will not. The mothers here, think about this. If you have a sick, and dad, sometimes we can get rid of the kids. You know, um, I was was excited when the kids moved out. I wanted to change our address and not forward it. Um, But that's not, Carol's very compassionate. If anyone needs compassion, go to Carol. Carol's a very compassionate person. A mother who has a sick and self-willed child will not, therefore, cast it away. And shall there be more mercy in the stream than in the spring? What he's saying is here, if a mother won't cast away their child that's self-willed and sick, what's God going to do to his children? I mean, that's just a mother. I'm God. Where do you think the mother gets her compassion from? She gets it from God. It's a gift from God. God says, if a mother won't do that, you think I'm going to do that? Is there more compassion in the stream than there is in the spring that feeds the stream? Now, remember earlier we quoted from William James, the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over the other. Okay, go to the linking verbs now. You'll find it. Um, I want to say to you, I think he would have been better off to say, if he were, to, if really, if he would have understood it, he would have said, the greatest weapon against stress is when we recognize by God's grace our inability to choose one thought over another for any substantial length of time. And then trust in God for our comfort and our strength. That is the best way to deal with stress. Jonathan Edwards writes in a book, a dissertation concerning the end for which God created the world, and I I can only, uh, it's like three paragraphs, so I'm breaking it down into one sentence. God needs nothing from us, for he is complete in himself. His joy in himself is sufficient for himself, but yet God has chosen to take pleasure in us in that he takes, God takes pleasure in that which he does through us and then rewards us for that which he has done through us. That's the Christian life. You're not going to do anything to impress God. Nothing. You're not going to be rewarded in heaven for, look at this, look what I did. You will be rewarded in heaven For everything that the Holy Spirit has done through you. Why do we cast our crowns on the ground before the Lord? Because they're His crowns. He has done them through us. Think about how great of a God we have that He works through us, then rewards us for that which He does through us. Everything comes from Him, alone. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made. The Lord says in Isaiah 45, 7, I create darkness, I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord that has done all these things. Romans 11, 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For in him, through him, and from him, to him, are all things. To him be the glory forever and forever. Forever, amen. God needs nothing from us. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of the heaven and the earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made one man, every nation, of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods, boundaries of their dwelling place. And if you think you're good, you recognize there's no one here that's good. No one, no one at all. Just like my microphone was on, that was good. I didn't get caught, could have been worse. Just think if our brains were wired that way that everyone could hear, what everyone else was thinking I'm sure some of you are you're wondering what's on sale at Weiss does Carnes have my favorite cut of meat what time do I have to put the roast in the oven so when company comes over Um, it's preseason, so it's not a real big football time but let's face it no one is good and when the one lawyer came to Jesus he said good master good teacher what deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, "Why do you ask me about what's good? There is only one who is good. Are you saying I'm good because I'm God, or are you saying I'm just like you? I'm am okay, just on that on your thermometer of life. I'm okay, but don't call me good unless you call me God, because there is no one that is good, only God." Only God has the resources and the power we need to live. Isaiah 64, 4. From of old, no one has ever heard or perceived by the ear, nor I has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Um, As a conclusion, I just want to touch, I don't know if anybody's ever read J.C. Ryle. Very, very good author. Mark and I went through his book a few years ago. Um, J.C. Ryle speaking about the two thieves on the cross next to Jesus. One on his right, one on his left. J.C. Ryle says, "...both were equally near Christ. Both saw and heard all that had happened during the six hours that they hung on the cross. Both were dying men, both suffering acute pain." Both were wicked sinners. Both needed forgiveness. Yet one died in his sins as he had lived, hardened, impenitent, and unbelieving. The other repented, believed, cried to Jesus for mercy, and was saved. One thief was saved that no sinner might despair. Only one though so that no sinner might presume. The message in scripture is always clear. Behold your God. I ask you today, are you a lamb? Are you trusting in the shepherd, the good shepherd for your comfort? Isaiah 40, 11, he will lead his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with the young. Or are you a weed? Isaiah 40, 24, same chapter. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. There are Life is real simple. There's only two kinds of people in the world. They're not Democrats, they're not Republicans. They're not white, they're not black, they're not rich, they're not poor. They're not those who have, they're not those who have not. There are no Americans. they are not foreigners. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Either you're a sheep or you're a goat. You're a tare or you're wheat. That's it. That's the only two kind. But I want it just as a word of encouragement. I want you to remember the thief on the cross that repented. He never went on a missionary journey. He couldn't do much. And that was the position he was in. I don't know how long you can stay like that. He couldn't tithe. He couldn't give offerings. He couldn't give up meat for Lent. He couldn't get on his knees and pray. He could not. He could not. Anything you can think, he could not do. But he said this to the other thief. He said, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus said, and he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Um, Please bow your heads. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for our great comforter. Thank you for your... Chapter Isaiah 40, what a great encouragement to our souls. We live in dark times. Again, Lord, teach us today that we may live it, and by living it, others may see it. And by seeing it, they will be drawn to believing in your Son, Jesus Christ, and thereby be saved. We rely on you for all things. Give us your strength today that we may glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen you are dismissed.